It came fast and furious. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Tournaments Movement for the week of May 25, 2020. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. Last week, we reported that almost immediately after the reopening of the Louisiana legislature, the Tournaments Convention Bill sailed unanimously through its first committee. But since then, another amazing thing happened. The bill was sent directly to the House floor and passed the entire Louisiana House. Now the bill is headed to the Senate, where it may also see expedited treatment. <laughs> What's going on? Let's ask Nick Tombalides, Executive Director of U.S. Tournaments. Hey, Nick. So, big victory last week. Tell us about it. Huge victory. Huge. <laughs> Huge. Sure is. Louisiana, um, break out the beignets and the uh, etouffee. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, because <laughs> L- Louisiana is fixing to pass the term limits convention. And last week we got halfway there. The Louisiana State House, they passed the term limits convention in an overwhelming vote, 73 to 14. And it was mm-hmm. a bipartisan vote. You had 48 out of 56 mm-hmm. Republicans vote for it. You had 23 out of 29 uh, Democrats vote for it. So around 80% of Democrats and Republicans voting for this, as well as a couple independents, passes by an overwhelming Mm -hmm. margin. And it now advances to the state Senate, where it will have a government affairs committee hearing on Wednesday, May 27th, before hopefully moving to the Senate floor and passing the state completely. Boy, that is exciting. And that's been quick. We noted how fast it moved through the House. It shocked us. And now we're already got the committee assignment in the Senate. Um, And of course, it has to be fast because the session ends on what, June 1st? Yes, the session adjourns June 1st. So, you know, we're fast tracked. Uh, There's not a huge agenda for the Senate. So we believe this is going to get heard. um, But we can't take anything for granted. No, that's for sure. You know, if people are in Louisiana, they want to help, they can go to our website, termlimits.com slash LA Senate. You can get the updates and you can get an opportunity to send a message to your senators. Um, One thing that uh, I wanted to ask you about is the importance of the pledges in achieving this. I know this is a state where we uh, worked hard on getting pledges from candidates and from incumbent politicians in the state. We also did a lot of voter education in the last election cycle where we made sure we went out and sent mailers to the voters, letting them know who signed the pledge and who hadn't. So the pledge was central, central to this success. Did the pledge signers pull through and vote for the bill in the House? Yes, absolutely. Every single pledge signer in the House voted for it. And we have quite a few. We have a lot of pledge signers in Louisiana. I believe um, based on the work that we did last year, around one third of the entire Louisiana legislature, House and Senate is pledge signers. So yeah, it was great to see that they kept their word on the floor vote. Okay. This victory in the House seems like a proof of concept, call it, where we did all the groundwork, went according to plan, and then as soon as the legislature had an opportunity to, they gave us committee assignments, they had the votes, it went to the floor, and won. So let's duplicate this in the Senate. Now, what is it looking like in the Senate? What's the makeup of the Senate uh, Government Affairs Committee that we're going to be at next? Um, yeah, so just echoing what you said, uh, it's been sort of an improbable rise for term limits. You have to remember that the Louisiana Capitol was closed, I think, for more than a month due to COVID-19. Right. So the fact that anything is being discussed right now is like 
a small miracle, let alone, um, you know, the term limits convention. But it is moving through. It has the Senate committee hearing, and the composition looks pretty good for us. I'll tell you why. It's mm. because every committee in the legislature has a chair, uh, you know, someone who organizes, runs the meeting, and that person is right. typically the most influential, powerful member on the committee. In this case, the Senate Government Affairs Committee, the chair, Sharon Hewitt, is our lead sponsor. So not only is she an advocate for term limits, she's arguably the biggest advocate in the state Senate. The vice chair, a guy named Barry Milligan, he is a Republican who won by a narrow margin in 2019. He's a freshman. Um, But he actually signed the term limits pledge then. We did voter education in his district. We sent mailers out to thousands of people in his district to let them know that he was the term limits guy and that the incumbent, who he defeated, has since defeated, was terrible on term limits, refused to sign the pledge. And then Milligan uh, rode that term limits wave into office on the strength Mm -hmm. of the issue, on the popularity of the issue. So it's looking very good. Um, You know, obviously we cannot take anything for granted and there are always some surprises in the legislature. But I would say that right now it's very promising. Okay, everyone in Louisiana who's listening, please, 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 tournaments.com under current actions. You can pull down to the Louisiana action or go to the website, tournaments.com slash LA Senate and um, let them hear your voice. Yeah, can I, can I, can I do a little special shout out to, to somebody? Please. So we, we know the Louisiana legislature has term limits on itself, um, and that's been helping us a lot here because they already have an right. understanding of the issue. You know, there's no learning curve. Um, so when they talk about term limits for Congress, they already know what it's all about. But the reason right. the Louisiana legislature has term limits is two words. It's a guy named Rents Johnson. And he was mm-hmm. a he was a World War II veteran, and he got term limits passed in Louisiana in 1995. Uh, through sheer grit and I would say determination. And he believes in all the things that we believe in, you know, mobilizing volunteers, power of the grassroots, lobbying legislators, you know, using good manners and everything when you do it. And he got Mm -hmm. the Louisiana House and Senate to put term limits for themselves on the ballot. It was a task much like congressional, seemed impossible at the time, but he did it. And, um, you know, he passed away five years ago, and he is dearly missed. But I just wanted to mention him because everything he pioneered is now a big part of our efforts, including in Louisiana. So thank you, Rents, and, you know, also thank you to his daughter, Helen, for helping us as well. And if you're in Louisiana thank and you, you. you want to help, termlimits.com slash L.A. Senate. Hi, this is Ken Quinn with U.S. Term Limits. Take a guess when it was first suggested to have an Article 5 convention for term limits. You might be thinking maybe 1990s back when term limits was very popular in America. We had 23 states passing laws, most of that at the ballot box, to put term limits on their members of Congress. Uh, 22 states also passed laws putting term limits on their state legislatures, and also the contract with America was pushing term limits. But no, it wasn't the 1990s. So maybe earlier, like maybe the 1890s? Nope. It was even before the 1890s. How about the 1790s? Obviously, it couldn't have been any earlier than that, could it? Yes, it could. In fact, the very first time somebody suggested to have an Article 5 convention for term limits was one month after the U.S. Constitution was ratified. Now, this comes from a pamphlet written by Tench Cox, a gentleman from Pennsylvania. He was also a delegate to the Annapolis Convention of 1786. 
And in his pamphlet called A Friend of Society and Liberty, dated July 23rd, 1788, he said this, quote, You have been told also that after the new constitution takes place, the officers under it may become perpetual. Now it is fully and absolutely secure that no representative, senator, president, or vice president can continue beyond a stipulated time. And if the people think that time too long, they can get their state legislatures to apply for its being shortened. If nine legislatures out of 13 apply this year, or 10 years hence, there must be a convention called to consider the point." Unquote. There you have it. Tench Cox, the first person to suggest an Article 5 convention for term limits. The best part is what he said at the end of his letter. He said this, quote, It must therefore be evident to every candid man that two-thirds of the states can always procure a general convention for the purpose of amending the Constitution, and that three-fourths of them can introduce those amendments into the Constitution, although the President, Senate, and Federal House of Representatives should be unanimously opposed to each and all of them, unquote. Well, there you have it. That is a perfect description of what U.S. term limits is trying to do. We are advancing the cause that Tench Cox began in 1788 to have the states propose a term limits amendment for Congress without their consent or approval. Join the term limits revolution. Go to termlimits.com and get involved today. Hey, Nick, another new study has come out that bolsters the case for term limits. Uh, This one looks at the representation of women in the Philippines, which is a country that has term limits on their legislature and also on mayors and actually a lot of different positions throughout the country. And this is a country that had a very low representation for women, way lower than the uh, global average, uh, which itself is pretty low. I mean, in 2019, about 24% of national legislators around the world are women. And of course, they make up about half the you know, population. And this study was done by some researchers at the University of Oxford and at NYU. And they found that in the aftermath of the fall of Fernando Marcos's autocratic regime in the mid-80s, about 9% of women were elected to the Senate and House of Representatives. A similar, almost exact amount, 9% of municipalities had a female mayor. And that climbed to 21% by 2010 because of a change made in their 1987 constitution, which put in tournaments. Now, this brings to mind a study that we've been talking about on our podcast for some time. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't know the Philippines had term limits across the board. Um, I would have assumed executive term limits, but you're saying that it actually applies to many different offices, local mayors right, and yes. legislators and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a couple years ago, uh, Samantha Petty, professor at Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, actually looked at the rate of emergence of female candidates for state legislators within the United States. And what she found that the presence or lack of term limits on a state legislature made a very significant difference in determining how many female candidates run. She actually found that the rate of the emergence of female candidates was 33% higher in states with term limits than in states without it. So, you know, if you are someone who wants to see a more representative government, 
that looks more like society, including you know the inclusion of more women, then term limits is one way that you get there. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see that they're finding the same result in the Philippines. That makes two papers released in as many years showing that term limits create more opportunities for women in elected sure. office. And it's clear why that would be the case. If you have an entrenched incumbency that isn't uh, rolling over, and yet you have in society the mores changing, the beliefs changing, um, and there's more role for women in, in more and more occupations, well, why would that show up in the legislature if the membership of the legislature wasn't allowed to change, right? So having open seats, forced open seats where the incumbent had to leave provided the opportunity for women to run. And some people have asked, why do term limits specifically help women? I think the answer was given in the last paper on this. Um, it's very simple. Women are less likely than men to want to be career politicians. They don't want to do it. The, right. the data show us that men as a group prefer a much more linear career path. Let's say man wants to be an executive at GE for 30 years. Stick with that. Right. Or a congressman for 30 years. Whereas for women as a group, on a group basis, it's about – you know, what's the next challenge? Women like to conquer one thing and then move on to the next challenge. Obviously, that's sort of generalizing. And of course, it's not true for all men or all women. But when you look at them on the group level, much of it holds true. And I think it's true here. So I would think two factors explain why term limits empower women. The first is that women are less linear in their career choices. The second, though, is that for a long time in politics, women were discriminated against. Women were viewed as support sure. for powerful men in politics, like your Joe Bidens and your Ted Kennedys of the world, instead of holding the power themselves. They were just viewed as support. And it's awfully hard to catch up when the same senators, the same members of that boys club are still running the show today because we have no term limits. Hundreds of thousands of people with bright ideas who could have made a difference, regardless of gender, they're all denied opportunities by the system that we have, by the, the status quo. Term limits is a, a great fix for that. Term limits is a great way of creating opportunity for so many people, you know, non-traditional candidates, political outsiders, such as women, who otherwise wouldn't have the chance. And it's not because they're not sure. qualified. It's because these incumbents have rigged the system. That's it. And of course, although they're not covered in either of these two studies we're discussing, that the same principle applies to issues of race and also of age. Just the fact that young people are denied a chance to get involved in the system. Career politicians, they love capitalizing on the energy of young people. You know, like I said, they want them just close enough to the political process to help their campaigns, but never so close that they can take their jobs. Um, <laughs> right. And right. I just also want to make a comment quickly, and this is sort of related to this. This is about the appearance that I had in front of Congress maybe about a year ago now. My comments there, they were very well received by most people. However, there was one line that a few people thought was controversial, and that was when I described Congress as disproportionately old, rich, white, and male. People thought I was saying there's something wrong with white males. Not at all. I, I am a white male. But my point was that the House of Representatives is supposed to be representative, that it's, it's supposed to look like America. You know, John Adams said a legislature is the portrait of the people, but in miniature. He said it should think like them, look like them, act reason like them. And I think part of that means you have diversity. I don't mean forced diversity, like you must have right. this number of women or African-Americans or whatever, right. But, right. but allowing the people to choose their government through fair elections. And that would definitely right. change the way Congress looks. 
because it would open up opportunities for people who didn't have a chance before. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. We've been reporting on how U.S. tournaments has redirected its efforts during this period of shutdown to collecting pledges from legislators in preparation for next year's legislative sessions, in which we'll once again be in the nation's capitals pushing tournaments convention bills. So are you on Facebook? Because if so, you can help. Every candidate for the state legislature in the USA has received a copy of the U.S. tournaments pledge and is being called and emailed by U.S. tournaments staffers and volunteers to sign and return that pledge. That pledge says that, yes, I'll support the Tournaments Convention Bill. Please help us apply public pressure to get them to sign. Go to tournaments.com slash getpledgesonfb. There, you will find instructions on how to determine who your state legislators are, who is opposing them in the primaries, and then later the general elections. And then for each candidate, you'll see a link for their Facebook campaign page. They all have one. Go to their Facebook page and post a short comment and question. Something like, we need competitive elections and better representation. Do you support tournaments for the U.S. Congress? And if they answer back yes, send them the link to pledge and ask them to sign. The pledge, the links, the instructions, everything can be found at turnlimits.com slash getpledgesonfb. Thanks. We'll be back next week. The revolution isn't being televised. Fortunately, you have the No Uncertain Terms podcast. U-S-T-L Hey, Phil, what do, you th- what do you think about sending um, COVID masks to all of our good guy congressmen that say term limit Congress? So then they start taking pictures of themselves, wearing them and putting them on Instagram and stuff like that. I think that would be really good. Okay. They want to be seen wearing masks in public anyway, most of them. Yeah, right? you know, just like Ted Cruz, Thomas Massey, people like that. Just had a yeah. thought. Real good thought. Assuming they're even in their offices now, I don't even know. <laughs>